0: I'm going to take you on a journey 3,000 years back. Daniel in the Old Testament is a prophet. And God gives Daniel this parade of prophecies that go from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian king, all the way through the second coming of Jesus. And he shares with Daniel all these uh, kingdoms that are going to come through the image of the, of the man, you know, the bronze and the, and the silver and the, and the iron of clay and all these things and he shares with Daniel this parade of prophecy but before God does that he establishes who is going to stand in the midst of fire and the midst of adversity in the book of Daniel chapter 3 this sensational drama has unfolded about these three Hebrew children we know them as Shadrach Meshach and Abednego These portrait of these three demonstrate the supernatural power of God to deliver us in the days of trouble. This is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar king nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man on the planet at that point in history not only is he the most powerful man on the planet but his babylonian army is taking territory and they're taking on kingdoms and wiping them out and they have just taken over jerusalem as a matter of fact as they've taken siege to jerusalem the historian's name is josephus josephus tells us that Thousands and thousands of Jewish men, women and children, are taken slave out of Israel into Babylon. Babylon is now what we call modern-day Iraq. He commands the most powerful army. He invades Israel. Thousands of Jewish captives are now in Babylon. Among them are Daniel, who I told you about, who God gives this amazing prophecy to. And you're going to hear about that uh, in the future. I'm going to do a whole study on the Daniel and his prophecy that God gives him. But there are three others. There's three others in the midst of this caravan. One is named Shadrach, but his name is not Shadrach. You must know his name is called. Uh, Hananiah, but he's renamed Shadrach by Nebuchadnezzar. Mishael, which is the Jewish name, but he's named Meshach by Nebuchadnezzar. And Azari, which is named Abednego. Pat stopped. Ah, oh, he's named Abednego. These are known as the three Hebrews in the book of King James Version, the three Hebrew children. Now, they're not children. They're young men. They've already experienced the bar mitzvah, which means they're of age. And these three men change the landscape of the society by standing in the midst of fire. Nebuchadnezzar has erected a 90-foot tall statue. This statue is made of gold. And in this 90-foot tall statue, covered in gold on the plains of Dura in Babylon, he commands that all the leaders and all the citizens to bow and worship the image at the sound of music. Those who do not bow are burned alive. On Dedication Day, now think about this, go with me now, lock into what I'm gonna say. On Dedication Day, the plains of Dura are covered with an endless sea of people. There are thousands upon thousands of people there. The massive gold statue is shimmering in the hot Middle Eastern sun. At the precise moment, the command is given to the conductor, the baton is raised, the music starts, and a sea of people who are standing now fall, a massive wave bowing on their faces before the gold statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Suddenly, the officials notice something. They noticed that not everything was quite right. Standing ramrod straight in front of these thousands of people were three righteous Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow before that idol. They were Orthodox Jews who believed the word of God, which is called the Torah, that said, you shall not have any other gods before me. This happened, and it changed instantly the politically correct behavior. These Hebrew children were then brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and the Scriptures tell us he was angry. He was furious, the Bible says. And look at Daniel chapter 3 on the verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them and he said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship my golden image, which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and you worship the image, which I have made that is good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, you we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor do we worship the golden image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar commanded then that the fiery furnace be turned up seven times hotter. That's the Bible's way of saying extremely hot. The three Hebrews were thrown into the fire, bound hand and foot, the Bible says. The fire was so hot that the mighty men of war that threw them in were burned alive just being close to the fire. But then came the most sensational display of supernatural power. Nebuchadnezzar, or anybody has ever seen, it was verse 24... King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He was absolutely astonished. He rose in haste, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see the fourth man loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth man is like the Son of God. Hallelujah. Can you give God praise? I've already prayed, so I don't, I want to get right into it. The famous Bible drama that I just unfolded before you contains good news and it contains bad news. The bad news is that those who make Bold stands for the God and His Word will be tried by fire. But the good news is those who go into the fire because they've taken a bold stand, they don't go in alone. They come out on the other side fireproof, stronger, wiser, more anointed than ever. Though you may be in the fire, the fire doesn't need to consume you. Though you may be in a flood, the flood doesn't have to overtake you. Though you may be in the lion's in, the lion doesn't need to strike you because if God be for you, who can be against you? Can you put your hands together and thank the Lord for him, for his goodness? Now think about this. It's those men and women who take those bold stands when they get into the fiery furnaces or life, they get challenged. As a matter of fact, it's when you take a bold stand for the promises of God, it always comes with the challenge. Any time that you believe God, believe His Word, believe in His healing, believe in His promises, those things will be challenged. Do you know something today? Cowards are never challenged. We're not told the name of the cautious, compromising cowards who bow before the gold-covered idol. We're only told the names of Daniel and the three Hebrew children, Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bend who would not bow and they could not be burned up in the fiery furnace. So let's ask the question today, are you standing up for the promises of God or have you bowed because of the pressure and the cares of this world? Do you know there are two types of people in that story? And there are two kinds of people in this room, men and women, are bowing before the pressures of this world the anxiety and the cares of this world are those who face their adversity standing ramrod straight saying I will not bend I will not bow I will serve God no matter what comes my way that's the difference between those two types of people this is a God whom we serve as believers a God who is not made of a golden image he's not a God of carved wood and carved images he's not a God of nature though he is created in the nature. He's not an owl in a tree. He's not a creative God. Excuse me. He's not a created God that created and were to worship the creation. He's a God that did not come into his own being, but he created those things out of himself. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God that cannot fail. He's a God that doesn't slumber and He doesn't sleep. He's a God when you call upon Him, He answers you and shows you great and mighty things you know not. You can call on a God that will only let you down. You can call on Buddha, but He's in the grave. You can call on Muhammad, but He can't help you. You can call Joseph Smith. The number's been disconnected, but you can call the creator of heaven and earth. His name is Jesus, Yahshua, the one and only. And He'll come and He'll show you great and mighty things, you know not. Where are you in this picture? Are you standing or are you bowing? You're a child of the king. And as a child of the king, surrendering and bowing is beneath your dignity as a believer. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to please God and offend the world or you will offend the world and please God. But you cannot do both. The scriptures tell us that we're to love God and we're to love his word. And we're not to serve two masters. We're to serve the Lord, him and him alone. But this story proves something it really does now think about this today because this story is living proof that a perfect environment does not guarantee a great life now think about what i just said because the three hebrew children were literally prisoners of war they were prisoners of war in a nation that was saturated in paganism and in the occult yet they made a bold and a courageous stand for god in the midst of great trouble and great turmoil at the risk of their own life they showed that they had faith in god and people often say well joey that's good but if i had a better environment if i had a better upbringing if i had a better education if i was a better person i would i can do greater things that's simply not true That's absolutely wrong. When people say that, they don't understand God's principle. Remember, it was Jesus Christ who was born in Bethlehem's manger, not in the Bethlehem Marriott. He wasn't born in a crystal cathedral. He was born in a dark place around animals, stinking cave. He wasn't born in prestige or prominence. Remember, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He did not write it in a penthouse on the Riviera with a 200 voice choir singing, Christ, we adore thee. He wrote it from a jail cell. It was not written on the Riviera. He wrote it from a dark place and not a place of prominence. Where was Adam and Eve, however, when they committed that issue, when they had fallen? It was in a perfect paradise. As a matter of fact, out of a perfect paradise, chaos ensued. So a perfect environment does not produce perfect results. Your life and my life, friends, it's not limited by where we are. Are. our life is only limited by what we are and what we are is children of the most high god and who we are we belong to him and the best is yet to come because a high position and a title doesn't make the person people are so wanting titles and titles and positions can i tell you a pygmy on the top of mount everest is still a pygmy St. Paul in prison is greater than any Nero on a throne. That's why we name our sons Paul and we name our dogs Nero. A Daniel in the lion's den is a great man, greater than the king in the palace. The three Hebrews standing on the plains of Dura for the convictions of their heart are greater than the legions that are bowing before a politically correct society. Cowards never succeed and they're never remembered. God hates cowardice. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, and all liars will have their part in the lake of fire, which is the second death. When's the last time where you've been put on adversity and you made that bold stand for the Lord? I want you to know when you take those bold stands for God, you don't do it alone. God Almighty stands right with you. And he says, when you honor me, I'm going to honor you taking those stands for the Lord. If we're going to survive in this nation, it's time for us as the body, the church, to keep the lights on, to turn on the light of the gospel, even in the midst of our adversity. We're engaged in such spiritual warfare in America. There's a war going on, whether we want to get into the army or not. And that war is light versus darkness, truth versus lies. It's Christ versus Antichrist. It's really that simple. Do you know there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser? And to the loser will live by the dictates of the victor. And to the victor goes the prize. What's the prize? Our children. Our grandchildren. Is there not a cause? There is a cause. Is there not a reason to stand up and be vocal about the promises of God and our convictions as believers? You better believe there is. It's time for you and I to take a stand when it comes to those promises of God, to not bow to the disease, to not bow to the depression, to not bow to the discouragement, to not bow to the political correct society that says we got to do this and we got to do that. Take an honest look at where we are today in America. Do you know how far we have fallen in the last 30 years? I just read this recently, and I was blown back by what I read. 30 years ago, the top problems in America's schools, in public schools, were number one, talking in class, top problems, talking in class, not lining up properly, and not putting your waste paper in the trash can and chewing gum. That was the top problems that schools had 30 years ago you know what they are today assault school shootings rape drug addiction we've gone a long way in the wrong direction that's why the god fearing and a god-fearing person is not a person that's going and this is what you gotta learn and i hope that you hear what i'm saying to you because i'm saying it with great love and great I'm, i'm begging you to listen to me God-fearing does not mean oh my God, I gotta live right, I gotta do right, I gotta believe right, because if I die in my sins I'm going to hell, I've gotta fear God. That's not God-fearing. That's religious narcissism and it's exhausting because you'll never obtain it. That's not God-fearing. That's rules and regulations that hold people back. God-fearing is I'm in awe of God. I fear the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is applying the fact of knowledge so that the beginning of the fear of the Lord is applying the fact of the knowledge of God not my knowledge his knowledge not my word his word not my promise his promise I apply the fact even though I don't understand it because I fear the Lord and the coming of the King hallelujah God is good like that now think about this God's Word is true and every man is a doggone liar that's Joey Stillman translation It's true. The God-fearing Shadrachs and Abednegoes, they need to take stands for the promises and the Word of God. God's Word is truth, and you can base your life on it. You can't base your life on explanations, but you can base your life on a promise. God's words are promises. We're not to bow before the gods, little g of this world. We're not to bow to paganism and and narcissism and all that stuff that comes with day-to-day life, sickness, pain, disease, worry, depression, fear, anxiety. Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I'll deny them before my Father. Jesus said, if you're ashamed to confess me in front of man, I'll be ashamed to confess you in front of my Father. He's talking about more than you just receiving him as Savior. He's talking about confessing his word over your family, confessing his goodness over your home, talking to him each and every day, displaying the love of God when you've been offended and you've been hurt. But a lot of believers, they run around like like little chameleons trying to hide their beliefs and hide this and, and do that. And God's going, no, no, stand up and speak up for my promises. There's coming a day when real commitment will go through the test of fire. Real commitment always gets tested by fire. Real commitment. Do you know that any time that you come into a place of belief, if you're really wanting freedom, it's immediately going to be assaulted and tested by fire. The fire of adversity will immediately come. And that's why God ordained the church to gather together in assemblies like this so we can ignite one another as iron sharpens iron. We're to ignite one another because you will be tested by fire when sickness comes, when the doctor says it's when it's terminal. That's a testing of fire. You've got to believe these promises and say, no, no, devil. It's not terminal. It's temporary. My God with long life, he shall satisfy when your bank account is producing negative zeros, and you're praying to God that that next check does not bounce higher than an NBA basketball player, you have to believe on the promises of the word of God, that God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. When the enemy comes in like a flood, you've got to trust in the promises of God, that God will raise up a standard against them to take on your enemies. That's what you and I are called to do as the church, not to retreat, not to surrender singing little songs of kumbaya, hold the fort, bless us no more, and no more, hold it back. No, no, we're called to be overcomers. We're called to be engagers. We're called to stand up and stand out. We're not called to get in and fit in. We're called to make no small stir, to do great and mighty exploits. I'm talking to warriors, not wimps. Do I got any warriors in the house of God today? And as a warrior... We got to take on that challenge. The Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith. Christianity is not a call to the cowardly. Christianity is a call for warriors, for men and women who are carrying that word of God and not some Bible-believing wimp that sings the little songs and think that's going to do it. I'm telling you, there's coming adversity to everybody, and we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. And God tells us to fight the good fight of faith. How many know a good fight's a fight you win? A good fight. Some of you have never been in a fight before. Have you ever been in a real fist fight? I mean, don't raise your hand, mom, but a real fight is, is there's lots going on in a real fight. I've been in real fights and I have got my clock cleaned and lost those fights. And those were some tough women. Jesus. I told you about I used to be a bouncer, and I used to frisk you out the door, and if you didn't have a weapon, I'd give you one. I mean, they were tough places back in the day that I worked. And I've been in some fights, and I've been in some fights where I've lost. That's why God made it in his Word so clear. Fight the good fight of faith. A good fight is not a fight that you lose, because losing is no bueno. A good fight is a fight that you win. I've read the end of the book, we win. Fight the good fight of faith. The Bible says put on the whole armor of God so you are able to withstand against the schemes and lies of the devil. The devil is a liar. Hello? He is a liar. He will rob you of your hopes. He'll rob you of your dreams. He'll put depression on you, fear on you, sickness on you, disease on you. He's a liar. That's why it says in everything after you've stood in the evil day, stand. Stand Stand, stand, stand in the evil day. How many all know the evil day's not coming? The evil day's here. And we're to call to stand up and stand out in the evil day. When you've done everything to stand, stand up for God the Father. Stand up for the truth of God's word. Stand up for those promises, not wavering, but holding on in faith, believing. Stand up in the midst of adversity. Stand up in the midst of struggle. Stand up in the midst of the accusers when they rise up and say hateful things about you. Stand, 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 because the God of heaven, he stands with you. And everything's going to be all right. Now, think about this. The three Hebrew children told Nebuchadnezzar something interesting. He said, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Are you in trouble right now? I've got good news for you because in trouble, you don't go into that trouble alone. But there's something that's common about all of us here today. Not our nationalities, not our looks, not our hair, hello, not our good looks. Hey, there's something that's common about us. Not even as believers, because we're all believers in this room. Obviously, you wouldn't be in church. But there's something about us that's common, and it's trouble. Trouble comes to everybody. Trouble comes to the young. Trouble comes to the old. Trouble comes to the good-looking. And the not-so-good-looking. But trouble comes to everybody. Trouble does not mean that God doesn't love you. Trouble means that you're a part of the human race. But when you get into trouble in the fiery furnace, if you will, how are you going to know that you can get out of it unless you've been in it? How are you going to know God's a healer unless you endured the storm of sickness? How are you going to know God's a God of hope unless you've had a troubled night of Gethsemane of your own? Absolutely hopeless, thinking there was no answer for your problem. Are you in the fiery furnace of sickness? I want you to be of good cheer. He's overcame the world. Are you in a financial crisis called trouble? I want you to understand God provides for you in the worst of days. He gives you the best of things. Have you been mastered by worry, fear, and depression? I have good news. The God whom we serve is able to deliver you. I love that because... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taught by their parents the word of God and those parents every Jewish parent they would tell their children and their children's children the stories of how God was able to deliver he was the God who conquered mighty Pharaoh down in Egypt by turning the water into blood he brought death to all the firstborn he's the God who drowned Pharaoh and when it was bloated corpse drifted ashore Moses pointed to Pharaoh's lifeless body and said our God is able to deliver us our God we serve is able to deliver he stands as a shepherd of the stars he calls on my name he knows who you are and what you are he's almighty all-powerful and all-knowing our god that we serve he's the same yesterday today and forever if he did it before he can do it again if he delivered before he can deliver again if he healed before he can heal again you are in good Company because God can deliver. Can you put your hands together and thank God that He's a deliverer? He's able to deliver. Woo, I'm tired. Just teasing. He's a God that can deliver, He's able to do it. I love what they say as we close our time the God whom we serve. You know, God. He has no leaders in the kingdom of God. God takes servants, and those servants become leaders. There's nobody that's here that's a born leader. We're all born to be God's servants. All of us are called to serve the Lord. Can I tell you, serving God is so wonderful and so unique that many of us don't realize that our lives represent the servanthood of the Lord Jesus. But sometimes in church, you know, we talk about it, and I've been so guilty of it, and I just, you know what, forgive thou. I've done it. We've all done it. You got to serve the Lord. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Because our, our revelation of what we think service is, it's confined to what we believe that the needs are. But I want you to know there's a bigger picture about serving the Lord. Everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord is serving God in one capacity or another. But there's an issue that needs to be dealt with in your own heart. It's how great do you want to be? Because Jesus said the greatest among you will be the servant of what? All not the servant of some, but the servant of all. Can I tell you there's something about a giver that gets that all button pushed? Because the Bible says, give and it will be given back to you. And the reason I believe, in my personal opinion, it's given back to you is because when you push the button to give, you have an ability to help way more than you can ever do in your own strength. Because now you can help all. You can go to a backpack giveaway. You can go to Washington, D.C. before congressmen and women. Now you can go to Hades as we give every month to help those with Convoy of Hope. You You can give and help kids at the city center have a safe environment. Now you push the button and you become a servant of all. Now in your own strength and what you do, serving, usher, greeter, altar care, now you're serving in a capacity. And Jesus said, the greatest among you is the one who serves me, the one who serves others. I take it seriously and I don't take it lightly I bless them angels go down and meet them in the fire go and provide for them you know what angels hold back I'm gonna go myself I'm gonna make the way where there seems to be no way Romans 12 and 10 man I'm I'm a lot better than you're letting on but you know what it's fine I forgive you Romans 12 and 10 says be kind one to another affectionate to one another forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake forgave you we are to give one another that's Romans 12 and 10 and Galatians 5, 13, merged together. And some people, if they lose their seat in the sanctuary, a holy war breaks out. That's not what we're about. That's not what serving God is. Serving God is your life given over to the Lord. Notice what the three Hebrew children said, and I'll close. Daniel 3, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, you, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Nebuchadnezzar, we do not even think about whether we're going to bow or not. The answer is no. The God that we serve is able to deliver us. Then there are three words that we're going to close with today. It's found in verse 18 of the passage. People walk around these three words. They they don't like to talk about these three words. These three words keep people from fulfilling their divine destiny. These three words have caused so many wonderful believers to forfeit those promises because they've tried to do it in their own understanding. But these three words, I believe, will help us in the matters of our day-to-day lives because trouble comes. Whether we want to realize it or not, all of us face difficulty and trouble. These three words are so wonderful. They're so powerful, but yet they're so painful. They're painful. And the reason why I believe they're painful because the three words are, but if not. Can we say it together? But if not. Their loyalty to God did not depend on whether he worked out the miracle in their behalf. But if not, they declared that their faith would not be shaken, even if they were fried to extra crispy. They did not depend that God would meet their timetable and their faith formula but if not how many people have served God and only to the place of sharing some faith formula or what they've heard up north or what they heard somebody write in a book and because it was their revelation now they they've taken it on but God it's not given into them as their revelation and when things don't go their way and the prophecy doesn't come for fulfillment. They lose hope. They lose faith. They destroy trust. Because they haven't resolved the issue. But if not. How many people have you seen serve the Lord? They, they don't do it anymore. Because every time they don't get those prayers answers the way they want. They quit trusting. They quit coming. They quit, they quit doing what God wants them to do. One of these days, friends. And I say this with great humility. We're all going into the fire. And we have to get to the place to say, but if not. The three Hebrew children, however, they show us something miraculous. That's a diamond of truth in this passage. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about the fourth man in the fire, what, it's, what it means. But this truth is so important. And they teach us something. That disappointment would not lead them to disbelief. But if not, how many people do they let disappointment lead them to disbelief? My prayers didn't get answered, Joey, the way I've been believing God for. My spouse has taken a lot longer to come, Joey, and now I'm marrying the wrong people and I'm hooking up with the wrong people because I'm lonely. My, my son, my daughter are not where they need to be, Joey, and I'm just losing hope. I'm losing faith. And, we all are faced with this transition, and I want you to learn from them because you've got to go beyond your prayers being answered. You have to go beyond your understanding and your capacity to understand. You've got to go beyond it. You've got to have those but-if-not moments. My life was radically changed on May eighteenth, 1997. I had never been to church before. I wasn't raised in church. I don't come from a a family background of believers. I'm the first generation Christian, first generation believer in the home. That's why we fight battles today that our children will never fight because we're plowing ground. That's why the church fights and has certain things it fights that others don't fight because we're a first generation. We're plowing ground. And I'll never forget May 18th, 1997. I got changed. Now, when I say changed, I'm not not talking, well, now I'm gonna start coming to church maybe twice out of the two months. I'm going to let other things come before me, but you know, I'm going to put God on a shelf. No, I got saved. I got saved. I got radically transformed. I was speaking yesterday. I was speaking yesterday at a men's event in Sacramento where I was raised. And I got to the end and I said, there's not a mechanism in me that you would think that I was raised this way. How many of you... I said to these guys, I said, how many of you realize what I just told you? In other words, I was saying, there's not a mechanism in me that's ghettoized. I know that's not proper English, but it's true. There's not a mechanism in me that's institutionalized. There's no lingo or swag or sway or or nonsense coming out my mouth that you know, oh, he was raised a certain way. Only if I want to relate to you, I'll drop it on you there's nothing in me like that. You know why? I got saved. I changed. I changed. I was no longer acting like I was this and that, but with Jesus now. No, no. I got saved. And when I got saved, I was devouring that word. Six hours minimum a day. I'm reading the Bible. I'm taking every cassette tape I can put my hands on. I'm listening to the great ministers of God, Pastor Hagee, Brother Copeland, the great generals of faith. I'm listening to my pastor and others. They're downloading to me all the word of God. I'm devouring it nonstop. And my mother, who I love very much, I was a mama's boy. She at that time, this was in May, she had such severe cancer. She was 45 years old that it was attacking her body, it was in her blood. And I'll never forget the moment. It was a but if not moment. I'm believing God. I'm devouring the word. I'm saved. I'm not partially saved. I'm not, I'm not trying to step into the world and step into the church and come back into the world. I'm saved. I'm believing God. I'm not like some of y'all. No, no harm, no foul. But you get my point. I'm real. And so are some of you teasing because I love some of you are so so tight Ugh. squeak when you walk what's up come on calm down I'm saved and my my mother's ill but she's young and I locked on to this thought I want you to listen to this because I want you to get something out of this I locked on to this thought my mother's 45 years old She has the rest of her life ahead of her. She's just received the Lord as I have. God's gonna supernaturally heal her and raise her up out of her bed of affliction. I was praying, I was fasting. I was declaring. There was no negative speech coming out of my mouth. I had scriptures everywhere, all over my house. I was telling everybody that I believed, that had faith like me and more than I, to pray for my mother. I named her by name. I declared her healing. And every time I declared her healing, she got worse. She got worse. I mean, to the point now the amputation started. She lost her fingers. She lost her toes. Then she lost her left leg. And her body shut down she turned to 60 pounds and now I'm at a crossroads I've given my life to Christ I love God I'm changed I'm not a casual Christian I love God with all my heart she's dying and God's word is true isn't it I had to come to this place like many of you have not crossed over yet but you will and when you cross over to this place you've got to make a decision like I had but if not and you know what happened the more I prayed the worse she got and then it got to the point where she was getting ready to slip out of this world and that was in May that I gave my life to the Lord June July August came August 30th happened and August 30th wasn't a good day for me August 30th my mother stopped breathing here and she passed away I was the only one in the family besides my mother and my father who have given their lives to the Lord my daddy collapsed he collapsed I had to live with him for a year to stabilize and become the father in the home my brothers who weren't Christians they absolutely went crazy blaming God blaming my father blaming themselves blaming everybody and I like so many, had the same thing start to bombard me. God, if you're real, why has this happened? God, I've given my life to you, I prayed, I'm fasting, I'm believing God, I'm I'm sharing your word. Why has this happened? And I had to get to the place like you. But if not, but if not, and I read a passage of scripture that, you know, God's word is true. And that sometimes we don't understand it in the timing. But God's word is alive and it's sharp. And I read a scripture out of Corinthians, and it was one of those Rama words. And it jumped out at me when she passed away because I was wavering. And I was wavering. In alive, I told you, I was, wa- I was wavering. I'm like, oh man, this sucks. It's so painful, it's so hurtful. It's such turmoil. Why? And I read that passage. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to death. And I said, God, would you strengthen me for godly sorrow? And man, I mourned, I cried, I wept. I was in Ash cloth and sat. You know how they talk about. I was, I was so sad, but I grieved to God, and I gave it to Him, and I took a godly sorrow, and it led me to repentance. And do you know I look back on that day, and now I've come to the resolve. Many years ago, obviously, but I've come to the resolve. If my mother would not have passed away, God would not have opened up those doors for me to speak to millions of people in the public schools and the churches all over America, if God wouldn't have took that fire of adversity and me passed that test, we wouldn't be here today as the church doing what God's called us to do because I would have caved a long time ago with ungodly silliness that Stockton brings. But I, like you, had to get to the but if not. And so now I tell you that to say this, When adversity comes my way, when situations arise, I draw strength from my past victories. And I say, God, you brought me through the death of my mother this little nonsense that's religious games that people yak yak over here, and this adversity that the enemy tries to bring over here, and this onslaught of hell over my finances here, and this issue over here is no match for you. You've brought me through this, you can bring me through that. You did it before, you can do it again. And that's why when my daddy passed away a year and a half ago, nowhere near like my mother. You know why? already established in me but if not so I want to encourage you today are you facing a trial are you facing adversity has the fire of affliction been turned up on you I share all those things to tell you God has put you to the test to bring out of you a testimony but you have to get resolved but if not you received that word today